The Christian Andriacchio case was prematurely closed by authorities, but many questions remain. Come behind the curtain and follow private investigator Sheila Waisaki as she uncovers the truth about what happened to Christian. This is Without Warning. Warning, the following episode contains elements that are graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Power and politics are everywhere in our society. You can't turn on the TV, read the internet, Facebook, Twitter, without politics seeping into your world. The one area you don't expect politics to play a part in finding justice is murder. But in Meridian, Mississippi, it's all about politics. Currently, Cassie Coleman is the district attorney. So what are the politics of murder? Six months ago, no one knew the name Cassie Coleman or cared. But today, all eyes are on Cassie Coleman, her abilities as the district attorney, her heartless interactions with her constituents, and putting her city in danger with the recent loss of a slam-dunk drug case because she was out campaigning and slamming Ray Andriacchio, the victim's mom. As a candidate, Cassie Coleman has felt secure enough to treat Ray with disrespect, saying unimaginable things. Can you imagine if Cassie Coleman wins the election, what wrath the citizens that went against her has to put up with? While you are listening to Ray tell how she has been treated, don't think for a minute this can't happen to you. I've worked several cases where public corruption has changed the course of an investigation and ultimately the outcome of the case. The case file is an important piece of the political puzzle. It was used as a weapon to shut down a mom from asking questions. The complete file was not released, but cherry-picked information to shine a negative light on the victim, Christian Andriacchio. A district attorney is an appointed or elected public official. Cassie Coleman was appointed by Jim Hood after the recommendation from Bilbo Mitchell. The district attorney is intimately involved in the prosecution of each criminal case in his or her jurisdiction. Their job is to rectify wrongdoings committed against the public. Ray and Josh Andriacchio sat down with me to talk about the district attorney's race, politics in Meridian, the release of the case file, treatment of victims' families, and the powers that be in Christian's case. The first topic we talked about was the tape meeting on July 1st at the Meridian Police Department. The audio sheds a light on the political spin of Christian's case file. I will upload the file on my website if you haven't heard it before. Remember, a portion of the public file was doctored. What is missing is Cassie Coleman requesting, urging, almost to the point of demanding the files being released. Of course, later we find out a FOIA, Freedom of Information Act, request was already set in motion by Frankie Wagner, Whitley Goodman's uncle. Pay attention to how that unfolds in our conversation. We join the conversation, Politics of Murder. 
The following people were at the leaked meeting on July 1st. Richie McAllister, Cassie Coleman, Gypsy Ward, Jay Arrington, Chief DeVos, and Tony Green. We'll go through each person at that meeting and their connection with Christian's case. In the meeting, you had Richie McAllister, who is the CAO of Meridian. CAO means Chief Administrative Officer, ultimately responsible for the performance of your organization. Yes. Yeah, I think he's the one who does kind of the dirty work behind everything. I mean, he basically runs Meridian. I'm Percy's right-hand person, but for all intents and purposes, he pretty much runs everything, and Percy's just the front person. Cassie Coleman, the current DA of Meridian. Some of these people that think Cassie would never do anything bad to them, be like, well, it happened to us. She was on tape saying, can we release the file? Can we release the file? I mean, she is the driving force behind that file being released. Yes, the AG made the ultimate decision, but she was the one pushing for it. You know, and she has shown, not once has she apologized or shown any type of sympathy for us in saying, you know, I really, I really hate that the case file was put out the way it was. I mean, she could have even blamed it on the AG and said, you know, the AG shouldn't have done, you know, never once has she batted an eye and said anything about that case that I have heard and said anything about that case file. She doesn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Now, when I think that when she has been just point blank, whatever she has said, oh, well, that wasn't me. That was the Attorney General's office. Yeah, I mean, she's redirecting blame because she didn't release it technically. She convinced another department to release it, which kind of, you know, keeps her from being directly blamed for it. But I bet if you went to her, if somebody looked at her computers, I would almost guarantee you that her secretaries and people like that have been sending that case file to people in private messages. She hasn't posted. Well, I mean, her uncle did. Her uncle posted it on his Facebook. I mean, he's being investigated right now by the Board of Nursing. Gypsy Ward, the investigator from the Attorney General's office... Tony Green, the director of the Integrity Unit. Tony Green, the head of the Public Integrity Unit, said in that meeting, we don't dance to the Andreacchios. Meridian's chief of police, Chief DeBose. He's not a good chief of police, but compared to what we could possibly have in there, he's probably the best alternative because he's basically like Clay. I mean, whatever you want him to do, he's not going to really say anything back. He's, I mean, he's almost like just a, like you talk through him and then the other, the person on the other side, I mean, it's basically like he's just like an open door, not as far as transparency with his office, but as far as like going back and forth with him and the DA, he's going to do whatever, whoever else in government tells him to do. But also, he's not going to have problems if we come and tell him to do something if someone else doesn't have problems with him doing that thing that we ask him to do. Well, he's just, he's a, it's almost like he's a people, he's a people pleaser. So when we meet with him, he will agree and he'll say, well, yeah, we've got new evidence and yeah, we can open this up anytime we want. But then he goes to Cassie and Cassie says, well, no, we're not going to reopen it, whatever. And he's like, oh, okay, well, we can't do it. You know, it's no, there's no um, take a stand against anything. Right. He's just, yeah, I mean, he's just getting a paycheck, basically. Yeah, it's almost like he's just non-existent. Like he doesn't even, he's not even there. Detective Jay Arrington. 
I will go more in depth on Gypsy Ward and Jay Arrington on an episode of the investigative episode and their roles in this case. Well, and to me, the group, the meeting was, I mean, you know, everybody knows that it was pretty obvious CYA meeting, but I mean, everybody in that meeting has something to lose if the case is reopened and their inadequacies in their job titles is comes to light, whether that's legal action against them. I mean, you know, I feel like that's why Richie was there is because he knows the city has a lot of liability there. Um, you know, it was uh, city employees. It was the chief of police. It was, you know, these different, if it comes out, what really happened. And then, of course, you have then the players who actually had a uh, literally a hand in the investigating or the decision-making on the cases. I mean, I, I really think that the whole meeting was about how are we going to spin this? Let's get our story straight, everybody on the same page, so that when we leave this meeting, this is what we're going to say. It wasn't anything about, you know, how are we going to help Christian or this family? It was about how are we going to make sure that we all in this room are protected. It has been reported that Richie McAllister has gone around to businesses and basically solicited people to come to his office so he can show them Christian's case file. So why is it so important to Richie McAllister that the narrative is Christian committed suicide? Well, I don't think he actually had the pictures with him. I think he was just going around and saying, come to my office, you know, you can see um, see the case file. I can show you, you know, um, how it was suicide. And I think he had lengthy conversations with some business owners um, or their, their staff about, um, you know, how, how it was suicide and um, all the reasons that pointed to that. And, you know, my question is, why is that so important to him? I mean, he's not in law enforcement. He's not running for office. He's, I don't understand where that falls into his job description to be going around trying to advocate that, you know, basically for Cassie, um, that Christian's case was a suicide and that I'm just, I need to let it go and just accept it. I always love when these men in power go around saying that the mom just needs to let it go. She's emotional. Generally, the mom is right in the cases I work. The tape of Richie McAllister was played at a city council meeting. This portion of the tape is Richie McAllister saying that Christian put a gun to his mouth and shot himself. Stuff's getting framed and it's different. I had a request our entire case file from the Attorney General's office on this indirect year then because everybody's been said that we thought the foods were corrupt and all this shit. And they say NBN. They didn't do a good investigation. Yeah, NBI, Bureau of Investigation. Then it was turned to the AG. The AG did an investigation. Three separate investigations all come to the same conclusion. What they're leaving out is the fact that he threatened to kill himself ten times two days before he shows up there. Anytime I put that pistol in his mouth, they neglect to show all this stuff before and after. It doesn't meet the narrative. They want, they want to sell podcasts. They want to have people get listeners. And so now we've got to find a way to get the entire truth out there. But I don't want to do it because now I've got to piss on some dead kid's memory. At the same time, I can't have the faith of the community and our law enforcement uh, you know, department over here shook. Everybody around the house is corrupt. 
This is Jess Betancourt, the host of DNA ID, the only true crime podcast that exclusively covers cases solved using forensic genealogy. DNA ID goes behind the headlines to answer your questions about this remarkable new crime-solving tool, how it works, how cases are selected, why the cases were unsolved for so long, and how the justice system is addressing it. I include input from law enforcement to give you the inside scoop that we all crave with a straightforward, no-nonsense delivery. You can find DNA ID on any podcast platform. Episodes come out weekly on Mondays. Why tell people Christian put a gun to his mouth and shot himself? For five and a half years, Ray has been asking for Christian's case file. Ray will discuss how the case file was released, who asked for it, and their motives. You know, I FOIA'd the FOIA request to say, um, you know, I want a list of everybody who the file was released to. And I did that, I think it was the 13th of September that they signed for it. I sent it certified mail to Marvin Sanders, which is the the procedure I had always used in the past, and no one had ever said anything about that not being the proper procedure. And by federal law, they have 14 days to respond and let you know if you're going to receive it or if it's going to take more time or they're not going to give it to you. Well, I didn't receive it on the... Second, I called Marvin Sanders and said, you know, I just want to know why I haven't even received a response one way or the other from the FOIA request. Well, he says, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't received the FOIA request. I said, well, you haven't ever had a problem receiving the FOIA request for me in the past. And I said, I know that you got it because someone in your office signed for it on the 13th. So now you're past the 14 days. And he says, well, you'll have to follow the proper procedure. And I said, I did follow the proper procedure. I followed the same procedure that I've always followed, and y'all haven't had a problem. And, you know, he kind of started raising his voice and, Miss Andriacchio, I'm not going to discuss this with you. And so, I, you know, I was getting a little um, frustrated myself. And I just told him, I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'm filing an ethics complaint, and I'm filing a bar complaint against you today. The next week, I receive the list of people who received, you know, the, the, that sent in the FOIA request for receiving the case file. So obviously, he had the letter sitting there on his desk or somewhere and was just hoping that I didn't follow up on it. Um, and I did file the, the complaint because actually... I filed the complaint prior to receiving it. He didn't tell me that they were going to send it. So, no, no, right. I'd also like to point out what's the proper procedure. If you receive the FOIA request, then it obviously worked. So what's the problem? Well, what does it matter how it got there if you received it? Well, there there appears to be an opinions division is where you go to your you send your FOIA request but in all the FOIA requests the the dozens I have sent no one has ever said well you know you're you're not following the proper procedure you need to send it to this opinions division they've always just responded to them and said you know no we won't give it to you or yes we'll give it to you so um when, we, when I received that then we had a more clear timeline of kind of how events occurred because then we re- I realized that, you know, on, on July 1st, Frankie Wagner post on Facebook, we are, wait- we are working on getting the case file. This was at 11.30 a.m. on July 1st. Well, my question is, who are we? Is that you and Cassie? Is that who- who's we? Because then at 2 o'clock on July 1st, Cassie, Gypsy, Jay, that whole group, 
has their meeting, which we didn't know what they were meeting about. I mean, you met them in the hallway, and they said that they were there to speak to meet about Christian's case, but nobody said anything about a case file. So it wasn't common knowledge that they were specifically meeting to discuss about the case file. Nobody knew that, but the people in that meeting, and it appears Frankie Wagner. Um, Frankie is Whitley's uncle by marriage, but he's always been involved with the family, and we kind of refer to him as the spokesperson for Whitley's family and Whitley, and he's very verbal and very vocal on Facebook, and he um, is also the person who filed the cyber-stalking charges against two of um, the people who were very active in Justice for Christian and also, you know, not Cassie Coleman supporters. So he, you know, we have a long history with Frankie, and it's not a good history. I mean, we've we've had our, our ups and downs with him over the last five and a half years. So at 2 o'clock, they have this meeting. The meeting lasts for over an hour. So we'll just say they get out at 3.15, 3.30. Well, there's a FOIA request that is received by the opinions department on July 1st from Frankie. So if they don't get out of this meeting until 3.30... The opinions, I would think they close at 4, 4.35. So in an hour and a half time period, Frankie is told that the case file is going to be released, is told the procedure to FOIA, or did Frankie already know? Was this already pre-planned? I mean, I don't have a time that the um, opinions department actually received his request. I mean, did he send it in prior to the meeting and knowing that they were going to discuss this? So I feel like that that is a huge red flag and shows connections being made with Frankie and Cassie and the different members, you know, Gypsy probably, of this plan that they are coordinating. Well, I think that the whole thing and what he was kind of toning on Facebook was, you know, oh, the, you know, Ray or the Andriacchios has not, they've not, they've, you know, fed y'all this line of bull that's not true and the truth is fixing to come out and, oh, y'all are going to be shocked and, uh, you know, can't wait till the tide turns and all this. And I think that when the podcast came out, you know, Cassie and them did not expect it to be um, that big of a deal. And then it quickly became locally a big deal and quickly started changing support from her to the other candidate. And this was damage control. You know, this was her way of trying to make us look bad and make people say, well, you know, they haven't been honest. They haven't been, you know, turned people against us. But I think that compassion goes a long way with people And when you're not compassionate and when you appear to be attacking, I mean, I think just culturally, our culture in America is you honor the deceased. Even if they, you know, no matter what kind of person they are, there is not very many people who speak ill of the deceased person. In Christian's case, he wasn't a bad person. So you've got this mother going around trying to get justice and for her son and she went against all cultural norms by attacking the victim. It was just a very stupid political move. It was uh, not very bright on her part. 
And, you know, I had heard, oh, Cassie's smart and this, that, and that really made me question her. I mean, like, if I was thinking if anybody who felt like this was a good move, then you have something. There's just not something quite clicking right up there because I just, again, don't see how anybody thought that attacking a deceased child is bad enough. You know, you hear about rape victims who are put on the stand and their past is brought up and they attack the, the victim of rape in order to make it appear like they deserved it or they had it coming. And you hear about attacking the victim as being a defense attorney's ploy. And I feel like that's exactly what they did is they attacked Christian, attacked me. So kind of back to the timeline, they have this meeting Frankie, they received the FOIA request from Frankie on that same day. Again, I don't know the time of when it was sent. They they actually, you know, they stamp it as received. Um, they have a stamp that they put on each one, a date that they actually received it. So they he sent it on the 1st, and they received it on the 1st. And that kind of goes back to my thing of I feel like that he had already requested earlier in the day because your day is winding down and... You know, are you really going to take the time at the end of your day to, you know, print this thing off, stamp it, and go ahead and process it? So, you know, when Frankie actually received that, he probably, they probably went ahead and sent that to him. And we were not called until the 8th and informed that, hey, we're releasing the case file. So... I'm assuming that Frankie already had the case file before we were ever even told and made aware that the case file was even being released. Then you have on the um, 7th, you have um, someone who has nothing to do with the case, Donna Sprayberry, and she requested on the 7th. Well, that's still the day before we've even been called. So who told her? Well, the common denominator is Cassie. She's Cassie's supporter. She's helped on Cassie's campaign. She works at Southeast, where Cassie's family all works. Um, she's very good friends with her family. So what is the political agenda there? You know, why why was she the person that was, was um, you know, was picked, I guess you'd say. You know, the, the thing that hurt us about that was that, Donna's mother actually kept Christian and you know all of all the kids um, up until it was time for them to go to school. You know her mother was a wonderful lady. Her mother was very good to my kids. Was very good to us, and so it was very hurtful to see that someone in her family would that we thought so much of. You know her mother and her father, and that they would do that to Christian. Just somebody in her family, her daughter, you know, who used to also be in and out while, you know, I mean, I remember jumping on the trampoline and her being over there frequently. Um, I mean, she's even posted pictures of Christian holding her daughter when her daughter was a baby because, you know, over at, that she took over at her mother's house. She was very much supportive of Christian and justice for Christian until the DA's race started and then it, it turned. So, I mean, you know, again, it was just like another kind of stab in the back. You know, and she did request it from school computer. So I felt like that was not appropriate, that she was not, that, that you know, your own taxpayers' 
time and taxpayers' property southeast. You know, then you you have that issue going on. And then on the 8th, Richie McAllister requests the file at 1237 on the 8th from the CD computer. We are not called until 3.30 on the 8th. And again, Marvin Sanders calls and tells us that he's releasing the file to us, Frankie Wagner, and an unidentified female. I mean, that's his words he uses, an unidentified female. Well, you really, you're, you're being, and, and I brought, bring up the point, why was Donna unidentified? I mean, who told him we don't want her name out there? Again, I think there's that Cassie connection because Cassie had worked at the AG's unit. She knows all of them. She knows Gypsy Ward. And somebody told him not to give us her name. And probably she thought and everybody thought that we would never know, you know, that I'm sure. And then Marvin Sanders doesn't mention Richie. I mean, he, he, he's already for you when you've called me. And it shows that you received it at your office. So you, you're lying now about who all you are releasing it to. So, I mean, I think that the FOIA request is very interesting because actually the people who I would have assumed would be asking for it was Pam, you know, Frankie and Pam, Dylan's mother. They don't request it until, I mean, I think uh, Jan Miller, Jet's mother, requested, I think, this is off of memory, the 12th or the 13th, which is interesting to me because... At that point, I went back and looked at the dates of the episodes. At that point, Jet has not, only thing that Jet's been mentioned in is Gun Night. Well, that's the exact same information that was put out on Crime Watch. So it's not new. It's not like we've put out some life-altering information there. I mean, everybody knew he was at Gun Night. Everybody knew that his and uh, Matt's stories didn't jive. So it wasn't really new. So why are you so concerned already I mean, Jet's name hadn't even been thrown out there that you're requesting the, the... I mean, I feel like her actions and her husband's actions has made Jet look more guilty than anything we've said. You know, it's been the people who have not said anything, have not reacted to anything that you almost forget about. I mean, there's other people who we are kind of high on our list of possible fourth people, person in the apartment... But we forget about them because they haven't, they're not on Facebook. They don't, even when their name is said somewhere, so nobody really talks about them. And so you begin to say, well, maybe they aren't, you know, guilty. But then you have someone like Jet's family who has overly reacted, and Zach Taub's mother, who Zach Taub had never really been high on our radar, but Zach Taub's mother made him elevate on the list because of all the stuff she said and all the stuff that she almost admitted to that he was involved in. But, you know, it was just, it was very, it's just been very strange how these people have reacted that to me has made their children look much more guilty than we really ever have. I asked Ray if Joel Hamilton's name came up in the FOIA requests. Joel Hamilton has represented himself as Whitley Goodman's spokesperson. Joel is responsible for one of the websites that has attacked Christian. Joel Hamilton and I have had more than one conversation 
I point blank asked him if he FOIA'd the case file. I also asked him if he FOIA'd some recordings. He told me he had. What's interesting is his name does not show up on the request. Joel obviously did not tell me the truth. I'm so shocked. However, Joel has been publishing all of these things, case file and recordings. So how did he get them? No, his name is not on the list. And that was interesting because, again, that means one of these people gave him the file. And, you know, it it then becomes, to me, conspiracy among this group of people. And, you know, going back to Cassie and the case file, when her uncle posts the case file in the Dropbox on his Facebook, I mean... He got it from her. He, you know, and so, and he's saying, you know, here, anybody that wants this case file. So you're, again, distributing information that should not be out there. And, of course, I was going to attorneys and saying, this can't be right. I mean, how can you do this? I mean, I understand information that has to do with the case. And I understand, you know, do I like it? No. But is it life? That's fine. It can't be right that you can put out autopsy photos. If that was the case, you would see autopsy photos all the time on the internet. But do you? I mean, that's what Todd made a good point. He said, I mean, you don't, you can't find autopsy photos. And there's a reason for that, you know, because they're not released. And the only time you actually see autopsy photos coming out of the U.S. is if it's like a celebrity case that's been leaked. Like somebody gets, somebody in the government leaks it and sells it to a third party and and they post it. Yeah, but they nobody, yeah, the government never just hands them out. Yeah, but not just openly, oh, here, you can have this. There was a lady, um, yes, on the couple discussion group that said, if you want it, I'll send it to you. Well, I didn't know this because I don't get on that group, but a family member, actually, again, I didn't know she did this, requested it because she wanted to see, would the lady really give it to her? And sure enough, she mailed her, free of charge, didn't charge her anything or anything, a thumb drive, um, you know, to Atlanta, Georgia, and she received, got the file. And it was, again, a Cassie supporter. Oh, the lady that did it, she's a Cassie supporter, but she's also um, the other connection that, because we don't know the lady, the other connection is she is uh, good friends with Jet Miller's grandmother. Well, and I, I mean, I know, I would almost bet anything that if you went and pulled the server for the DA's office, that her, we know Lisa Palmer. Lisa Palmer works in Cassie Coleman's office. Has sent private messages to people saying, you know, not necessarily talking about the, I haven't been sent any screenshots of her necessarily saying, here's the case file, but her saying terrible things about Christian, you know, sending it on taxpayers, you know, during her, her job time, and she's individually sending out messages to people advocating for Cassie and saying, you know, Christian was a troubled kid. Christian, you know, y'all don't need to listen to that and feel like, again, you are attacking. These people don't know Christian. I mean, yes, her daughter went to school with Christian, but she doesn't know Christian. And the very people who are having so much to say about Christian and about me and about the family, they have 
just as many, if not more, skeletons in their closet. And I think that we've been pretty open. I mean, the, the things that they've tried to bring up in our family, I mean, we have pretty much said, well, I mean, I thought everybody knew that. They're thinking that we're like going to go, oh, my gosh, you can't talk. It's like, oh, yeah, OK. Well, the case file was released. But who was it released to first? Not the family. So Ray's discussing the timeline of who received the case file and to explore their motives. This is unbelievable stuff. There is no good. There is no reason that anyone that did good for anyone. I mean, nobody can say, oh, well, I needed autopsy photos because it was going to make me be able to tell if it was suicide. No, it's not. There's nothing in there that's going to make you be, be able to determine anything. And for people to specifically ask for crime scene photos and for, you know, I don't know that they actually said autopsy photos. I think that some of them said all photos, all audio. Um, again, that was someone who was told, be very specific on your request. Don't just say case file. The normal person would have foiled it and said, I want Christian Andriacchio's case file. No, these people were tutored in the wordage on the, the thing. I mean, it's specifically with asterisks because they sent me actually the actual FOIA request. And, you know, they specifically we'll they specifically said, you know, crime scene photos, all text messages, all audio. And that was something that it took me a couple of times to learn, you know, because I was the one who would just have done a general, I want a case file. And then I would get, you know, someone who was very um, familiar with FOIA that was kind of in my same situation, but in another state, he had told me, no, Ray, you need to send very specific FOIA requests, and they need to be individual so that if they, they refuse something, they will just throw them all out if you have it all on one FOIA request. You know, it may be only one thing that they're not going to give you, but they'll just throw the whole thing out because that one thing is on the same page. So he says, you send an individual FOIA request for, you know, if you want, um, you know, a lab report, you say, I want this specific lab report. But then if you still want something, gunshot residue on something, then you on another one, say gunshot residue. That way they can't just throw them all out um, and you know which one they're not giving you. Um, so, I mean, but it took me months to learn that. And for every single person to do it exactly right, um, they electronically submitted it, which, again, was not something that most people know you can do. And then for them to all, most of the wording is very similar on every FOIA request. So they, they were told by the same person, this is what you do, this is what you say, and this is where you send it to. Exactly. I mean, I don't think that we've asked for anything unreasonable. I mean, we've, I mean, we've even gone above and beyond and offered help. You know, okay, if you don't have the resources, we'll help you. I mean, not only offered help, you, we've done their job. Yeah, well, yes. Essentially, they don't have to do anything except for, you know, arrest these people now. The, the entire job has been done as far as, like, from an investigative standpoint. I mean, it's... Oh, no, yes, I totally agree with that. I'm not saying, yeah. Well, and the ultimate misuse of taxpayers' money is and how her campaign has impacted literally the citizens is just last week or two weeks ago, she is on the radio campaigning, talking about how she, you know, the campaign, and actually talking about me and talking about Christian and the case. Meanwhile, 
in Meridian in Lauderdale County, the DA's office loses an open and shut case against a person who has stopped here with large quantities of drugs in a rental car, and they lose it. I mean, it was like, and you talk about, you know, oh, Michael doesn't, Grace doesn't have experience. Well, it doesn't really seem to matter because your office can't even win, a, win a, an open and shut case when you supposedly have experience. And you're off on the radio, and instead of taking care of crime, and we have the largest crime rate in the state of Mississippi per capita, and probably we're up there close with even United States per capita, but yet you're too busy trying to make sure that you get DA to take care of business during Monday through Friday, eight to five working hours. You know, and it was kind of funny because, of course, when they reported, whether it's WTOK or whoever reported on them losing the case, and of course it wasn't, it was not slanted to make her look bad. And people were saying, oh, you know, look, Cassie Walsh. And Lindsey Hall gets on there and his comment is, Oh, well, it wasn't her fault because she wasn't there. She was on Super Talks at that time. <laughs> it was like, thank you, Lindsay Hall. <laughs> for, yeah. That actually makes it look worse. Well, I mean, if was, it was me, was like, I mean, it would have looked better for her if she just, if people, if she let people think she prosecuted the case and just lost. Well, I mean, that was. It was like, oh, okay, so she's out campaigning and we can prove it because she was on Super Talks while. They're losing a case. Well, and you see the comments. I, I do, you know, justice for Christian, you know, are, are we perfect as a group? When you have that many people, over 11, that we're getting close to 12,000 people in a group, you know, you're going to have your personalities who say and do some things that you're going, no, oh, I wish they wouldn't have said that. But overall, they have been such a support for me because, I mean, you know, there's times when they say things that really, you know, do make me laugh because uh, especially some things they say about Cassie as far as, you know, somebody said something about, well, her her name's Mud in Meridian, and somebody came back and said, no, her, her name is Mud nationally, and she's probably one of the most hated females right now nationally. Corruption corrodes the fabric of society. It undermines people's trust in the political system and its leaders. It is important to shed light on shady deals, illicit practices, and people that undermine good government. In this case, the one question Ray Andriacchio asked was, what happened to my son in that bathroom? Because of that question, she has endured unbelievable amount of abuse most of it by a district attorney's office, the one that is supposed to rectify wrongdoings committed by the public. If you want this behavior to stop, make a difference. Speak up. The silent majority is going to the polls on November 5th. Show your support for a family and a mother who's asked that one question, what happened to my son? because I know it could be you next time. Christian's family gives their full permission for any and all details to be shared in hope that the truth will come out. If you know anything at all, 
Call 1-888-599-0008 or email tips at SheilaWysaki.com. If you or someone you know is dealing with suicidal ideation or is actively thinking about taking their life, please call the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, join Patreon today. Without warning, Executive Director, Executive Producer, and Host, Sheila Wysocki. Mix and Mastering by Resonant Recording. And Announcer, Tim Evans.